0: Healing the Heart of Darkness. Jobbik, otherwise known as the Movement for a Better Hungary, is an ultra-nationalist Hungarian political party that's been described as fascist, neo-Nazi, racist and anti-Semitic. It's accused Jews of being part of a cabal of Western economic interests, attempting to control the world. In other words, the libel known as the Protocols of the Elders of Zion are fictional created by members of the Tsarist secret police in Paris in the late 1890s and revealed as a forgery by the London Times in 1921. On one occasion, the Jobbik party asked for a list of all the Jews in the Hungarian government. Disturbingly, in the Hungarian parliamentary election in April 2014, it secured over 20% of the vote, making it the third largest party. Until 2012, one of its leading members was a politician in his late 20s called Shanad Zegedi. Zegedi was a rising star in the movement, widely spoken of as its future leader. Until one day in 2012, that was the day Zegedi discovered he was a Jew. Some of the members of the party had wanted to stop his progress and spent time investigating his background to see whether they could find anything that would do him damage. When they found out that his maternal grandmother was a Jewish survivor of Auschwitz, and so was his maternal grandfather, they basically discovered that half of his family were killed in the Holocaust. His opponents started spreading rumors about his Jewish ancestry on the Internet, and soon Sergei himself discovered what was being said, and decided to check whether the claims were true. They were. After Auschwitz, his grandparents, once Orthodox Jews, decided to hide their identity completely. When his mother was 14, her father told her the secret, but ordered her not to reveal it to anyone. Segedi now knew the truth about himself. He decided to resign from the party and find out more about Judaism. He went to a local Chabad rabbi, Shlomo Kovic, who thought at first that he was joking. Nonetheless, he arranged for Sagedi to attend classes on Judaism and come to the synagogue. At first, Sagedi says people were shocked. He was treated by some as a leper, but he persisted. Today, he attends synagogue, keeps Shabbat, has learned Hebrew, calls himself David, and in 2013 underwent circumcision. When he first admitted the truth about his Jewish ancestry, one of his friends in the Jobbik party said the best thing would be if we shoot you so you can be buried as a pure Hungarian. Another urged him to make a public apology. It was this comment, he said, that made him leave the party. I thought, wait a minute, am I supposed to apologize for the fact that my family was killed in Auschwitz? As the realization that he was a Jew began to change his life, It also transformed his understanding of the world. Today, he says, his focus as a politician is to defend human rights for everyone. I'm aware of my responsibility and I know I will have to make it right in the future, he said. His story is not just a curiosity. It takes us to the very heart of the strange, fraught nature of our existence as moral beings. What makes us human?" is the fact that we're rational, reflective, capable of thinking things through. We feel empathy and sympathy, and this begins early. Even newborn babies cry when they hear another child cry. We have mirror neurons in the brain that make us wince when we see someone else in pain. Homo sapiens is the moral animal. Yet much of human history has been a story of violence, oppression, injustice, corruption, aggression, and war. Nor historically has it made a significant difference whether the actors in this story have been barbarians or citizens of a high civilization. The Greeks of antiquity, masters of art, architecture, drama, poetry, philosophy, and science, wasted themselves on the internecine Peloponnesian War between Athens and Sparta in the last quarter of the 5th century BCE. They never fully recovered. It was the end of the Golden Age of Greece. Fin de siècle Paris and Vienna in the 1890s were the leading centres of European civilization. Yet they were also the world leaders in anti-Semitism. Paris with the Dreyfus Affair, Vienna with its anti-Semitic mayor Karl Luger, whom Hitler later cited as his inspiration. When we are good, we are little lower than the angels. When we are bad, we are lower than the beasts. What makes us moral? And what, despite it all, makes humanity capable of being so inhumane? Plato thought that virtue was knowledge. If we knew something is wrong, we won't do it. Aristotle thought that virtue is habit. Learned in childhood till it becomes part of our character. David Hume and Adam Smith, the two intellectual giants of the Scottish Enlightenment, thought that morality comes from emotion, fellow feeling. Immanuel Kant believed that it came through rationality. A moral principle is one you're willing to prescribe for everyone. Therefore, lying can't be moral because you don't wish other people to lie to you. All your views have some truth to them. And we can find similar sentiments in the rabbinic literature. In the spirit of Plato, the sages spoke of tinok Shanishpa, someone who does wrong simply because he wasn't educated to know what's right. Aristotle, well, Maimonides had the whole of Jewish ethics, is a training in the habits of virtue. As for um, Hume and Smith and moral emotion, the rabbi said that the angels of kindness and charity argued for the creation of man because we naturally feel for others, just as they said. And Kant's principle, rationality, is similar to what the sages called Savara, reason. But these insights only serve to deepen the question. If knowledge, emotion, and reason lead us to be moral, why is it that we sometimes hate and harm and kill? A full answer would take longer than a lifetime. The short answer is simple. We are tribal animals. We form ourselves into groups. Morality is both cause and consequence of this fact. Toward people with whom we are or feel ourselves to be related people from our group, we're capable of altruism. But towards strangers, we feel fear. And that fear is capable of turning us into monsters. Morality, in Jonathan Haidt's phrase, binds and blinds. It binds us to others in a bond of reciprocal altruism but it also blinds us to the humanity of those who stand outside that bond. It unites and divides. It divides because it unites. Morality turns the I of self-interest into the we of the common good but the very act of creating a we, and us simultaneously creates a them, the people not like us And even the most universalistic of religions, founded on principles of love and compassion, have often seen those outside the faith as Satan, the infidel, the antichrist, the child of darkness, the unredeemed. And they've committed unspeakable acts of brutality in the name of God. So neither Platonic knowledge, nor Aristotle's habits, nor Adam Smith's moral sense, nor Kantian reason has cured the heart of darkness in the human condition. Which is why two sentences blaze through today's parasha, like the sun emerging from behind the clouds. Listen, you must not mistreat or oppress the stranger in any way. Remember, you yourselves were once strangers in the land of Egypt. And again, you must not oppress strangers. You know what it feels like to be a stranger. Atem demet nefesh again. Because you were once strangers in the land of Egypt, the great crimes of humanity have been committed against the stranger, the outsider, the one not like us. And recognizing the humanity of the stranger has been the historic weak point in even the greatest cultures. The Greeks saw non-Greeks as barbarians. Germans called Jews vermin, lice, a cancer in the body of the nation. In Rwanda, Hutus called Tutsis, inyenzi, cockroaches. Dehumanize the other, and all the moral forces in the world won't save us from evil. Knowledge is silenced, emotion anaesthetized, and reason perverted. The Nazis convince themselves and others that in exterminating the Jews they were performing a moral service for the Aryan race. Suicide bombers are convinced that they're acting for the greater glory of God. There is such a thing as altruistic evil. And that's what makes these two commands so significant. The Torah emphasizes time and again, the rabbi said the command to love the stranger appears 36 times in the Torah. Jewish law is here confronting directly the fact That care for the stranger is not something for which we can rely on our normal moral resources. Usually we can, but under situations of high stress, when we feel our group threatened, we cannot. The very inclinations that bring out the best in us, our genetic inclination to make sacrifices for the sake of kith and kin, can also bring out the worst in us when we fear and hate the stranger. We're tribal animals, and we are easily threatened by the members of another tribe. Note that these commands were given shortly after the exodus. Implicit in them is a very radical idea indeed. Care for the stranger is why the Israelites had to experience exile and slavery before they could enter the promised land and build their own society and state. You will not succeed in caring for the stranger, implies God till you yourself know in your very bones and sinews what it feels like to be a stranger. Empathy, sympathy, knowledge and rationality are usually enough to let us live at peace with others, but not in hard times. Serbs, Croats and Muslims lived peacefully together in Bosnia for years. So did Hutus and Tutsis in Rwanda. But the problem arises at times of change and disruption, when people are anxious and afraid. And that's why exceptional defenses are necessary, which is why the Torah speaks of memory and history, things that go to our, the very heart of our identity. We have to remember that we were once on the other side of the equation. We were once strangers. Remembering the Jewish past forces us to undergo role reversal. In the midst of freedom, we have to remind ourselves of what it feels like to be a slave, In the midst of our group, we have to remember what it feels like to be on the other side. What happened to Shanad, now David Segedi, was exactly that, role reversal. He was a hater who discovered that he belonged among the hated. He was an anti-Semite who discovered he was a Jew. That, for him, was a life-changing discovery. The Torah tells us that the experience of our ancestors in Egypt was meant to be life-changing as well. Having lived and suffered as strangers, we became the people commanded to care for strangers. The best way of curing anti-Semitism is to get people to experience what it feels like to be a Jew. The best way of curing hostility to strangers is to remember that we too, from someone else's perspective, are strangers. Memory and role reversal are the most powerful resources we have to cure the darkness that can sometimes occlude the human soul.